0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis to all the big talking points in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, as always, is Duncan Castles. Today, we'll be bringing you... Up to date with the latest information from clubs as Chelsea, Manchester City, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, as well as it's Friday, it's donkey time. First of all, we go to Stamford Bridge, where Tammy Abraham, Chelsea's England striker, has turned down the opportunity, interestingly, of talks to extend his contract. The striker seems to be in no hurry. Uh, to get a pay rise, unusual given that he is relatively um, lowly paid regarding um, other players in the team. This uh, is because he uh, activated by appearances and goals an extra year on his current five-year deal just in the last seven days, but since the restart has not featured as the first choice for Frank Lampard. And with the signing of Timo Werner, is unsure exactly of his game time and indeed his position in the pecking order at Chelsea for next season. Now, despite the fact he has three years left, as I said, he has been offered the opportunity as representative to talk with Chelsea with regards to a significant pay rise, as well as a further extension on the current deal. However, Abraham wants to see First of all, where he stands. After all, he started the season as the undisputed number one choice to play up front, but that has changed in the last few weeks. So now he obviously wants to assess exactly where he stands with regards to what happens next season. Duncan, this is an unusual situation um, for a young player like Abraham. In the last six months, we've seen... Other players uh, of a similar age, Mason Mount, Hudson-Odoi, Uh, upgrade their contracts and sign longer extensions and indeed move on to double their salaries. So why not, Abraham?
1: I think, first of all, you've got to look at uh, that that contract that he signed in 2017 with Chelsea, and the one he is currently on. That was a contract that was agreed before he went to Swansea City on loan for a season. Um, So it's uh, it's going to be uh, at a pay level, Um, far below his current status in the game. He's been the starting striker for Chelsea for much of this season. He scored 14 goals in the Premier League. He's got two in the Champions League. He has um, scored and played for England. Um, He has all the qualifying credentials to be a high-value player on the transfer market. Um, were he to become available for transfer therefore he's in quite a good negotiating position um, and therefore not uncommon for a player in that position to say well what are you prepared to offer me financially and what are you prepared to offer me in terms of assurances about my place in the team and obviously he has seen Chelsea sign Timo Werner Um, at very significant expense in terms of transfer fee and particularly in terms of wages, Timo Werner is coming to Chelsea to be a starting player. Now, we've talked in the podcast before that Timo Werner isn't necessarily going to take Tammy Abraham's place. Chelsea see him as a player who can play in a two with Abraham, can play right wing, left wing, can play as a number nine and a half behind um, Abraham or another centre forward, if necessary. So it, Chelsea's plan hasn't been buying Werner as um, the new first choice because they are dissatisfied with Abraham. They want to have both operating in the team. But the, but as a player who has been starting centre forward, you want to know you um, will retain that place and and have the the path available to you to carry on scoring and being successful in the Premier League. And um, and the leverage of having a shorter contract on lower terms, one that uh, would be accessible to other clubs where Chelsea to decide that they had to sell the player, which clearly they don't want to do. But once you get pressure from uh, the player's side, the, you know these conversations come into play, um, is important. So um, it, it's kind of a, a side effect for Chelsea, of um, of being so bold and aggressive, and and taking Timo Werner from uh, from under the nose and the and the conversations and the and the various attempts um, that Jurgen Klopp had made to ensure that Werner came to Anfield um, when he moved to the Premier League, and which uh, Chelsea managed to defuse and get themselves a the top player um, for themselves.
0: You, you touched on it there, Duncan. Um, Fourteen goals in the Premier League this season, two in the Champions League. Um, One of the reasons Chelsea have obviously gone out and bought Werner is he scored 28 goals this season. Lampard recognises the importance of having a 20-plus goal a season striker. Now, clearly, uh, Abraham's season has been limited by injury, um, so we can't judge him on just 14 goals. But he, he started off very well scoring regularly in the first part of the season, and it just looked like everything was going like a dream for him. Then he got injured. Then we had lockdown, and obviously um, football stopped, and now it's restarted. But from his point of view, it's not just Abraham either. It's several uh, of this crop of young English talent who have already been given their chance by England manager Gareth Southgate must have an eye on next summer's European Championships, which effectively could be a home tournament for England and are desperate to be in a position not just to be selected for that squad, but to be part of the team that starts those games. And Abraham, I think, is very much looking at that, even though he's got the competition with obviously the captain, Harry Kane. But if Southgate decides to go with a two, then he would think that he'd be in contention, certainly, to partner Kane up front. My suspicion is that One of the reasons that he will wait to negotiate a new deal with Chelsea is because he wants, as you said, to put a bit of pressure on the club to play him, to basically reassure himself, but also establish himself once again next season as the starting striker, with Werner playing left or right, which we know he can play all across the front three. Um, And of course, with Werner's creativity, there's every possibility that his goal tally will go up as well. It's it's the
1: conundrum Chelsea have. They have... So much young talent finally breaking into their team. They've got a coach who's prepared to play them. But they're not finished articles. And and that's been part of Chelsea's problem this season. On top of the defensive issues, which we've discussed in this podcast, there are decision-making issues. There are um, experiential issues that have cost Chelsea in games. And Tammy Abraham's been involved in in some of those mistakes in terms of trying to win balls in the wrong area of the field and losing it and, and, and costing his team goals. You can see the potential there, but um, having to rely on him at this stage as a first-choice centre-forward for an entire season isn't quite where Chelsea need to be to compete for the Premier League title again. Um, So they do need to improve their options, but they need to keep him happy and keep the other young players happy at at the same time. And it's a difficult balancing act. And also, if you look at it from the individual's point of view and the perspective of not just playing time, but seeing Chelsea being very aggressive in this transfer market, Um, already having done two significant deals in Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner, um, trying or looking at doing another significant deal for Kai Havertz, another attacking player, when they already have a lot of resource at that end of the field, knowing that Frank Lampard wants significant spending on the defence, centre-back, left-back, issue with the goalkeeper that we've talked about. You know, if you're looking at it from the individual's perspective, you're saying, well, there's a lot of money being spent by Chelsea at the moment. I w- I have been the starting striker for most of the season. My contract isn't at the same level, anywhere near the same level, as the players they're bringing in. Um, some of
0: that should be going to me, shouldn't it? It's an interesting one. I agree with you on that. And, and we both know the politics of the dressing room when it comes to what other players earn um, uh, compared to what you're earning. Uh, And uh, Ibrahim, to me, is someone, I think, who has a very um, uh, confident confidence of his own ability and what his worth is. So I'm not sure that um, he will want to be uh, in a dressing room where he's the poor relation, as it were. You're right. Chelsea do appear to be doing the old, uh, what was it, uh, um, David Dean said, they've lined their tanks up on our pitch and they're firing £50 notes at us. Um, and it seems like the, the, the days of the tank and the £50 notes is back, um, given uh, the, the, the signings so far of Ziyech and Werner. The interest in Havertz, as I understand it, is concrete. Um, another player who would add goals from midfield. Um, however, Chelsea are absolutely not prepared to pay the £90 million which Bayer Leverkusen are requesting. They're using Werner's €60 million Euros fee, although, of course, that was a, a, a rescission clause in his contract, as an example of, you know, he was a, almost uh, the Bundesliga's most valuable player, you could argue, in the last season, um, certainly at his age as well. And uh, so, therefore, for a 21 year old that Havertz is then Chelsea's argument as well, that we are willing to pay the right price, but it's not 90 million. So, um, And of course, as you touched on, Lampard is becoming more concerned, especially after the uh, manner of their capitulation to Sheffield United in the Premier League match earlier this week to lose 3-0 in the way that they did to strengthen his defence. He's Absolutely desperate, as we've said repeatedly on the pod, to sign a commanding centre-half, a vocal centre-half. Very much, and, you know, it's not unexpected, in the John Terry mould, a player who obviously captained Chelsea through the most successful period, that played with Lampard for over 15 years. And he's desperate to get someone of that uh, stature and ability uh, into the team. Now, that's going to cost as well as a left-back. And if it's Ben Chilwell, they'll be looking at 40 million plus, maybe up to 60. And then you have the issue of the goalkeeper, which uh, remains unresolved. So Chelsea, um, yeah, I just wonder when the £50 notes might run out in terms of them firing them uh, at the opposition. Um, Yeah, look,
1: they're they're trying to be opportunistic with Havertz. Um, I think my understanding is that Pini Zahavi is involved uh, in offering the player uh, to Chelsea and, and other clubs in England. Um, Zahavi's a man who's done a lot of deals with Chelsea down the years. We talked in one of the recent podcasts about how Chelsea have always had an attraction towards attacking midfielders and they, they've been successful picking up young uh, attacking midfielders with, with, uh, with great potential in the past and making money on them and that is appealing to Marina Granovskaya. they seem to think there is the opportunity to secure the player ahead of Bayern Munich who of course have put a huge amount of their own investment potential into Leroy Zani Um, not so much the transfer fee which um, with the initial fee being under 50 million euros they have a bargain there for the player of his ability but certainly in terms of the wages they're paying Zani. Um, Bayern obviously interested in Havertz. Bayern have a pattern of picking up players from the lesser German teams as their contracts run down and, and taking them to Bayern Munich for the next stage of their career. Havertz has a contract until 2022. So you've got that similar scenario with Timo Werner of, um, and Jaden Sancho. Uh, what's the valuation now? Uh, Leverkusen were asking 120 million euros last summer. They still want over 100 million euros for him. But if they hold him for another year, then that price is going to come down. However, my understanding is Leverkusen, it's a slightly different situation that they're not pressed for money. They're um, well supported by the buyer pharmaceutical company. And they are considering that it might not be a terrible idea to retain Havertz for another season. Um, get the best out of him for that year and then if they have to sell him in a year's time at what would be a significantly lower transfer fee they do that but retain his um, his effectiveness and creativity in the, in the team for next season. I think one thing in Chelsea's favour is that they failed to qualify for the Champions League um, that would have uh, obviously given Leverkusen more incentive to uh, retain the player but um yeah, it, it it just strikes me as an opportunistic move in a, in a summer where they think other big clubs will not do the deal for Havertz um, to try and get him in now in much the same way that they managed to get Timo Werner in and, uh, and look for his development. But in terms of structure of the squad and balance of the squad and what the manager wants and what the manager's been telling them to put... Um, uh, Transfer revenue resource into it does seem a strange move because they clearly need those defensive improvements and you know we told you I think over a month ago now that um, that Lampard wants Declan Rice from uh, from West Ham United if he can get him and uh, wants to convert him uh, back to the role he, he he played as a an academy player of of centre back and, and put him in the in the middle of that defence which has terrible goals against. Um, statistics and goal difference statistics compared to the other teams they're competing with for that final um, Champions League spot this year
0: Speaking of that Champions League spot, Duncan it's hotting up obviously in that race for the top four, Uh, Chelsea winning against Norwich uh, Leicester City finally after their restart difficulties uh, had a bit of a spark of life about them and also got a victory Um, But interestingly, Manchester United are the foreign team in terms of uh, points gained since uh, football came back. And interestingly, recording some statistics, sometimes via Valerie, the AR, our old friend, uh, as well as penalties awarded with regards to what's becoming a bit of a record-breaking season for goals gained or indeed points gained. Uh, from VAR goals being disallowed for opposition teams and for penalties being awarded? Yes, so we've got
1: two games left um, for the battle for the top four places, and we now know it is top four because Manchester City have had their um, European competition ban lifted by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, although they were found guilty of, of breaching financial fair play regulations, and we should get the full verdict uh, published verdict from CAS on that next week to see exactly um, what uh, prevented them from having that ban upheld. But um, Chelsea currently in third place, 63 points. Leicester City, 62 points. And Manchester United, also 62 points. Um, three behind on goal difference. Um, and yeah, you, you mentioned VAR decisions and you mentioned penalties and um, I think that they're very relevant in this chase for a Champions League place. We know that this is worth tens of millions of pounds particularly worth uh, extra money for Manchester United because they have um, commercial contracts that are dependent on them not failing to qualify for the Champions League two seasons in a row um, which of course will happen if they fail to get above either Leicester City or Chelsea In these last two games, Um, the Crystal Palace match was one which I'm sure Chelsea and Leicester were thinking there is a possibility of Manchester United dropping points there. Although Crystal Palace have been on a terrible run, they are rarely an easy team to play against. Um, And we see uh, uh, one of those offside decisions uh, given against Uh, Jordan Iu, um, which we have talked on the Transfer Window podcast about this entire season and clearly detailed that they are impossible for the current technology to make accurately, um, so marginal that because of frame rate problems in the video and because of the three subjective decisions that have to be taken when the ball was kicked, Um, and where um, the attacker and the defender's body end. And if you watch the the video of that game, it's it's quite instructive because you actually see the VAR drawing an offside line, deciding it wasn't the right one and having another go at drawing the offside line and moving his crosshairs to try and uh, find the point where uh, Jordan Ayu's boot ends. Um, In the end, that decision went in Manchester United's favour. It was the seventh opposition goal That has been scored against Manchester United in the Premier League this season and been overturned by a video assistant referees. That is the highest number of overturns um, of any club in the Premier League this season. They also have uh, the highest net overturns in their favour from VAR, i.e. if you you take away the, the VAR decisions that have gone against them. Um, This season they have a higher net total than any other club. Um, They have the most subjective decisions um, under one categorisation. That decision last night actually isn't regarded as subjective under the the table that's been drawn up, although it clearly is subjective because it involves three subjective decisions as to where the the bodies end and when the ball was kicked. Um, And... You know, these are only overturns, so you have to separate out um, this is when VAR has, has actually intervened to make a, a change. So so the argument is, oh, we've had lots of VR often hasn't come in Manchester United's favour when it should have done. Um, I agree with that. Um, you To properly analyse VAR, you need to look at when it hasn't intervened Um, in situations where you'd expect it to intervene. But still, the overturn table is a a valuable one for comparison. And uh, Manchester United have been the beneficiaries more than any other club in the Premier League from these VAR overturns. Um, On top of that, they have had 13 penalties given to them in this season, which is a record number, not um, not just in, in this season, but in the history of the Premier League. The counter-argument to that is, oh, Manchester United play very attacking football. They have fast forwards, therefore they get lots of penalties. Um, you, shouldn't, you should expect them to get penalties. Well, if they, are, they play such attacking football, um, you would also expect them to be scoring more goals than their opponents. Um, so this attack, which is supposedly... Um, drawing so many penalties because they are um, better than any other attack in the division. They scored 63 goals in 36 matches Um, and it's uh, behind both Manchester City by 30 goals in total. Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea. And if you look at the penalties that those opponents have had, the the team with the next highest number of penalties, Manchester City, 10. Liverpool have had five, Leicester, seven and Chelsea, seven. So when you've got the highest number in the history of the Premier League um, for a team that's scoring at only the fifth highest rate in the division, even with the benefit of 13 penalties, the only rational conclusion you can come to is that Manchester United have been extremely fortunate in the award of penalties this season and and as we have said from the very beginning of VAR, you can expect VAR to benefit bigger, wealthier teams um, because there is an intrinsic bias in football referees under pressure to um, make decisions in favour of the bigger, wealthier teams. We've seen that It's well demonstrated in in football before VAR ever came in. You see the effect of VAR um, increasing this bias towards the the stronger teams. Because you've got not just the on-field referee who has the opportunity to make a decision in that team's favour, you have the guy in a box who doesn't have to um, answer to any commentary um, from the opposition players, he doesn't have fans um, berating him for for making a wrong, de- wrong decision. He sits in the box. He drives home afterwards, and um, and all he gets is some media commentary. Um, it, it's a fundamental problem with the system, and it's a problem that I think the numbers clearly demonstrate. Manchester United have been the um, the greatest beneficiaries of in this Premier League season, and it could result in a massive. Um, financial difference uh, to one of the clubs, uh, Leicester City or Chelsea, who lose out in a Champions League place should Manchester United get just above them in the Premier League at the end of this season?
0: Well, it's Philip Neville, who of course his allegiances are, are not blurred, um, who said on Match of the Day, Duncan, that if uh, Jordan Ayu was a boot size smaller, he would not be been offside for that particular goal uh, against Manchester United. Last night, and uh, all three uh, of the uh, people in the studio uh, said that, and this is quite an interesting point um, that though VR was brought in to decide basically, you know, black and white, it's offside or it's not, sometimes in decisions like that, it's not the case that it's as simple as black and white. Is it against the spirit of the game? Um, which, you know, is a, a different argument altogether. But as you said, technically, we don't currently have equipment which is accurate enough to measure that, to make that call, you know, and say that it definitely is offside. In which case, um, it makes you wonder if uh, Ollie's uh, been getting um, some uh, wine advice from Sir Alex Ferguson, sending a few cases down to Stockley Park. Who knows? Uh, They're certainly getting the benefit, that's for sure. So the Champions League place is still up for grabs, obviously, with two games to go, which keeps the season alive after Liverpool won the title. Norwich were relegated this week, and one club who are already planning for next season and an assault on Liverpool's title defence is Manchester City. Duncan already reported uh, extensively on their pursuit of Napoli central defender Kaladu Koulibaly, and he remains their first choice to augment their central defence. But, Duncan, two other names in the frame, just in case Koulibaly cannot be uh, procured or indeed proves too expensive. Yeah, I can actually give you three names.
1: One we um, reported on the Transfer Podcast last year for the first time. It was Ruben Gias, the the Benfica um, centre-back and captain. Um, Benfica, very keen to retain the player, um, improved his contract and improved his release clause but um, given what's happened with COVID uh, the information I'm getting from Portugal is where they were to receive a sufficiently large transfer fee offer this summer they would consider selling the player So, and he's still very much um, on that list of potential recruits that Manchester City are working from um, obviously Koulibalyi the preferred choice. They have reservations, however, about dealing with Napoli, given the problems that they've had with Napoli in the past um, over Jorginho. Um, Expensive in terms of wages too. Um, Therefore, they have been looking at two uh, players in Spain. Um, One of them is Diego Carlos, a Brazilian 27-year-old at Sevilla. Um, who's had just one season in La Liga, um, signed from Nantes last year for 15 million euros, contracted to the club until 2024, but they see him as an alternative, um, you know, powerful f- physical presence fast um, with the ability to play the ball, uh, to fit into that defence uh, alongside Americ Laporte difficulty there for them in terms of uh, transfer fees that Sevilla have have qualified for the Champions League. So you'd have seen that deal as one that Sevilla would have been easier to do for Manchester City had Sevilla not made Champions League and uh, secured the the revenue that's available there. Um, Another player in Spain that Manchester City have tried for quite a long time. I can tell you they've been in contact uh, with Atletico to ask them what kind of price they would be prepared to sell their um, Uruguay uh, international uh, Jose Jimenez um, to City. Um, interesting target in that he's not been uh, an absolute guaranteed starter for Diego Simeone at Atletico. He's played 20 La Liga matches this season. Um, Again, three years of contracts. we've got a substantial amount of time on the deal there. but also complete right back, which is a, an area that um, that city have had some problems with down the years. I'm told that Atletico um, did not respond well to the inquiry on behalf of Manchester City as to Jiménez's availability uh, and suggested that uh, a fee over 100 million euros would uh, would be appropriate should City, who have now been uh, relieved of their their, uh, Champions League ban, um, be Determined to buy the player, so I think uh, Atletico have spotted that Abu Dhabi want to spend heavily, and they want to try and extract that cash. And understand, should they manage to get a significant fee from Manchester City for Jimenez, they they would like to reinvest it in Ruben Dias themselves. So um, there you have the the kind of network of of deals that are being proposed and uh, being worked on for centre backs uh, by Manchester City and around. Uh, Some of the clubs at the top end of the European market at the moment.
0: Given the money that's been spent, Duncan, under Pep Guardiola specifically, and the mistakes clearly that have been made in recruiting and defence, is Pep in danger of becoming a bit of an Arsene Wenger figure who, once he lost the infamous or the famous back four, stroke five, if you include David Seaman, never managed to fix? fixed the problem uh, and just basically went through a whole lot deluge of different um, uh, permutations in his defence without actually finding one which could keep the team safe at the back. Well,
1: you have to say in, in the round, that huge amount of money that's been spent on defenders, and I, I, we can go back to Claudio Bravo here, You know, the, the first goalkeeper he signed upon dumping Joe Hart, um, that deal was a, a big failure, uh, but they got the answer in the end with Ederson, um, but left backs, right backs, um, centre backs, it, we we are in a situation where the only one he trusts amongst all those players he's, he's bought is Americ Laporte. Um, so that's a lot of investment on, on uh, defenders to get just one player uh, you want to build a defence around. Um, on the other hand, you have to say that being a defender in a Guardiola team is not easy. Um, the team plays so high up the park that uh, you are exposed when the you know the tactical fouling doesn't work and and the opposition can get the ball quickly um, behind the fullbacks who, who are generally pressed well up the, the field. Um, so you need to be quick and you also need to be very good on the ball because the, he expects his centre backs to be involved in build-up play and one of the reasons he likes Laporte so much is the quality of his passing with his uh, left foot which helps um, build and create Manchester City's attack so it's a, it's a hard team to play in defence for because of the way Guardiola asks them to play but on the, you, you do have to say that they've, they've been pretty bad at signing defenders um, who will work for Guardiola, um, he, the the statistics and the performances bear, bear that out.
0: And interestingly, he could always depend. I'm uh, going back to when he became Barcelona head coach in uh, Puyol and Piquet and then after Puyol, it was Piqué and Mascherano. and built his defence around those players who were absolutely consistent and uh, trustworthy. Uh, He just doesn't seem to have found that magic formula at the Etihad. Speaking of Barcelona, uh, the title uh, in Spain of La Liga was decided on Thursday night when Real Madrid uh, claimed first place with Barcelona capitulating rather pathetically to Osasuna at the camp now uh, in added time. Uh, Leo Messi was scathing once again uh, of both his head coach, Kiki Setien, as well as his teammates and the team in general. Well, Real, of course, uh, celebrated in the smaller Alfredo de Stefano stadium uh, in front of no fans, of course, uh, winning La Liga. Duncan, um, afterwards, Florentino Perez, who is no stranger to giving interviews in times of triumph, said, um, rather, you know, a bit of the old uh, on-your-chips or the uh, parade, if you like. Uh, we'll come to Sergio Ramos later in the donkey. Um, that there would be no big signings, that it would be impossible or extremely difficult, he said, for Madrid to make the kind of galactico signings that, of course, we've all become used to. Um, this is no surprise, really, is it? Because they are a club who have um, a lot of financial problems, the same as Barcelona do. Yeah, yeah he was asked about
1: Kylian Mbappé, who obviously um, is a priority target for Madrid and someone they've been. They tried to sign um, before he went to Paris Saint-Germain. Actually, had a deal in place to sign the player, and he uh, he and his father decided that they they didn't want to go there as a replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo, which was what it looked like uh, being. Um, being the outcome of that of that transaction at the time and it was safer for them to go to Paris Saint-Germain and they've, they've pursued the player since. Um, they are working to get him to the Bernabeu at some point. He was asked whether um, he would be bringing someone like Mbappé in this summer and he said, no, the situation is really bad. It's difficult to ask the players to take a pay cut to help deal with the situation and then make signings like that that can wait. Madrid will sign the best again when the situation changes. And he, he went on to talk about how much their revenue has been damaged and how that they he claims they've, they've lost 25% of their revenue and they've been um, hit harder than other clubs in Spain because they take so much from uh, home matches at the Bernabeu. It's it's a, a great revenue generator for them because they sell that stadium out at, at high prices. Um, Kylian Mbappé, I think, would have been impossible this summer anyway. Um, the Certainly from Paris Saint-Germain's perspective, they were briefing, long, actually before COVID hit, that they would not allow the player to go, regardless of what um, uh, Madrid tried to do. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of money would be thrown at the problem to to ensure he stayed there. But yeah, it's an unusual situation where you have... Madrid winning the title and uh, and Florentino Perez saying, I'm not going to do any big deals um, because the finances won't allow me to do that. And it is in a a context where we will see, we have seen uh, Chelsea do some significant deals. Um, We should see Manchester United do some significant deals. They're certainly still working on um, trying to get Jadon Sancho from Borussia Dortmund, which is the the level of deal that you'd you'd often see a club like Real Madrid pursue, and I think we're certainly going to see very significant spending from Manchester City because that's what Pep Guardiola is demanding, and and essentially that's what they've been given the freedom to do by the the cast decision that um, financial fair play regulations can be broken. By Manchester City, not once but twice, they'd be found guilty of it, not once but twice. But um, they will not be thrown out of the competition for doing so.
0: It is a very unusual situation. I mean, possibly an opportunity for other clubs to catch up. Uh, I mean, no one can say that Madrid don't have a very talented squad of players. But you also have some players who are aging there or simply not playing. Well, you know, you've got someone like Gareth Bale sitting on the bench for the last seven games. Uh, as an unused substitute earning €500,000 a week. Uh, You can see they don't have their financial troubles to seek with regards to that. Um, But Barcelona, of course, we know, we've talked about uh, recently, are over €600 million in debt. Uh, They're the ones who have to catch uh, Madrid. But they have similar problems. Two of their front three trident, uh, Messi is 32, Suarez is 33. And uh, are aging. I'm not saying they're declining, but that will continue to be the case as age catches with everyone. And still they will be expected to challenge again next season. but probably more worrying for Barcelona Duncan is that they have now another decision to make with regards to their head coach. And there's not really not really anyone out there on the market who you would obviously identify you could come in and make an immediate difference, especially in a dressing room as fractured as the one that currently is at Camp nou.
1: I, I think we, we've we discussed the problems they have with the, the coach um, recently. it's it, Not only do you have to find um, someone who's good enough to come in and solve the problems, you have to find someone who will be accepted by the the dressing room and accepted by Lionel Messi who is once again demanding that um, there be a change in the in the running of the football team and Kiki Setian's head on the line because of that. Um, we, we talked extensively about the situation with Xavi, um, Xavi being someone that both the current presidential camp and um, one of the main um, contenders to take over from Bartomeu as president would like as their coach because he can be sold uh, to the the Barcelona fans as a, as a, the man who can return them to the type of football which made them dominant in Spain and in uh, Europe for a period um but we also told you that Xavi is um is playing this very carefully and and has concerns about whether this is the right time to go to Barcelona because He sees a squad of players who are not capable of playing that kind of football anymore um, from a physical perspective and wants, uh, if he comes into the club, to come into the club with the opportunity to succeed and therefore have a lot of power over recruitment and a lot of power over decisions um, around the club. Uh, as to how the team play, and and you know, uh, my understanding is that he has concerns that were he to come back to the club with Messi still in this position of being the king of camp. Now that um, it will be impossible for him to have the degree of control he wants to have over that team to ensure that he can be a success coming back to Barcelona. So it it's complicated by a range of factors, including presidential elections, including. Messi's, you could say, unprecedented power at that football club, and um, you know demands of the supporters to play in a certain style that the squad is no longer suited to. So it, it's a tough one
0: for for anyone to come up with an answer to. Management at Real Madrid, however, seems uh, to be something quite simple for the great Zinedine Zidane, who and get this. Averages a trophy every 19 games that he has been in charge. Quite unbelievable. Also, quite unbelievable is when you are playing to get over the line in your uh, championship season that your goal up, you get the chance to go two up because you're awarded a penalty. Up steps your captain, Sergio Ramos. Instead. And remember, he scored two penalties since the restart, both of them very important in terms of securing points and putting Madrid ahead of Barcelona. Instead of just slamming the ball in the back of the net, the great Sramos does a Thierry Henry-Robert Pires after you, Claude, routine, and taps the ball to Karim Benzema, who then scores from the pass. Now, this is not strictly illegal, actually, in the laws of football, but it's deemed to be against... Uh, the kind of sporting integrity of the game the referee ordered a retake Benzema scored straight from the spot so this week's Dunkey Award we've decided is going to be uh, in commemoration of Real Madrid's La Liga uh, title win as well as the captain it's the Sergio Ramos Award for taking the piss when actually there's no need to so Duncan I'm going to open up the golden envelope here Oh, it's quite sticky on this one. There we go. Now, uh, some of you uh, may not have seen this because it does come from the backwaters and the annals of Scottish football, which, you know, Duncan and I at one point did actually frequent. Uh, And this was a game Rangers against Air United, of all people. And Andrei Kinchelskis, the former Manchester United winger, uh, and Everton as well, of course, um, at 3-0 up in the game, Uh, Look it up on YouTube if you want to. It is quite amusing. Decides that he's going to stand, I mean stand, both feet on top of the ball and salutes himself. (laughs) Well, the game was in play. Um, Not taken very well by United players, as you can imagine, who tried to hack him to death after this. (laughs) Nor indeed their manager, Gordon DL. Uh, But there you go. Uh, That certainly, I think, fits with Sergio Ramos's Uh, gallusness as they say in Glasgow Uh, then there is the BT Sport cameraman who unfortunately we can't name because uh, he wasn't identified who um, while filming um, before the match started uh, the Newcastle United match against Tottenham uh, this last week um, managed to get in shot and it was not edited because it was live someone holding up a banner and, of course, there's no fans in the stadium, remember, so who it was, I have no idea, uh, made my cardboard cutout, which said, Savage is a wanker. <laughs> now, the reason this is taking the piss is because, A, the works for BT Sport, as does Robbie Savage, who was, of course, on CoCom's duty for that game. And last of all, we have uh, a journalist who was covering an England press conference some years ago, before digital technology and iPhones because it was a tape recorder with one of those little mini cassettes in it. And David James, the then England first choice goalkeeper, was sitting up on the press conference table when the tape ran out on one side. Jmo, very nice guy that he is, lifted up the tape recorder, having heard it bleep, turns the, uh, the cassette, puts it back in and presses record, to which the journalist says, hey, it's my job to turn you over, not the other way around. Another good example of taking the piss. Duncan, it's up to you. The Sergio Ramos Award, who are you going to award it to? Well, I
1: think there's probably some footballers out there are wondering why Ian McGarry isn't a candidate for the Sergio Ramos donkey. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Ashley,
0: Ashley Cole, perhaps? Oh, your, I, thought, um... I, thought, I thought you were going to say Kenny Deglish. That time I tried to nutmeg him. <laughs> 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 when he said he would kill me if I ever tried it again. What what was what was the mark you gave Ashley Cole in, three, in one England game? Three. And against Portugal, quarterfinal final from, year two thousand four. Hey, look, it was filed at 17 minutes, for goodness sake. The good game after that. <laughs> well the response was the entire England team on the bus the next day singing three out of ten, you're having a laugh, to into my from Ashley Cole's phone into my phone. And <laughs> Ashley and i had both been given the nickname Three for the next year or so. <laughs> At least I actually was number three. <laughs> um, okay, so, so I so I'm being discounted because I, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not allowed to win a donkey. Yes, and I, and
1: I think I've just realised that Robbie Savage has not had a donkey yet, and that really oh. has to be remedied. So, um, despite the strength of the the opposing candidates here, we have to give it to Robbie Savage and um, and his alleged onanism. <laughs>
0: Indeed, in the words of the Prime Minister. Um, good, I shall. Uh, I completely concur with that. Robbie is an unbelievably nice to escape a donkey. And of course, this will make up for the uh, insult that was hurled at him. Um, and I'm sure it will be probably the only trophy in his cabinet. Oh, did he win the League Cup once with Leicester? Maybe. Anyway, uh, there you go, Robbie. We'll be uh, parceling up the donkey and sending it off to you. And uh, I'm sure it will take pride of place. In that as yet unfilled trophy cabinet in your sports or you probably your schnooker and want it, you're a bit old school. Nice one. So that's it for today's Transfer Wonder Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to continue the debate, which you always do, and we love it, please get in touch on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, Duncan is on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. You know where to find us. And you always do. Uh, Remember, you can listen to the podcast now on our YouTube channel. Just search Transfer Window Podcast, and it will appear as if by magic. If you like what you hear, and we know you do, return the favour. Get on iTunes, give us a five-star review. Hey, presto, the community expands, as it will on YouTube as well, if uh, you choose to watch it there. Until next week, when we will be back... It's just left for me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.